0: Uh, So this morning in our time together, we are embarking on the final section of Romans chapter 12. Uh, We've been studying this for the past two weeks, and this morning we're going to wrap it up. Uh, It's really been a joy to join you guys in this role, Uh, and next Sunday I will be back. Actually, I will be at Winter Blast with the middle schoolers. The Sunday after that, I'll be back with our high schoolers during second service, Uh, but this has been a really wonderful time. I just wanted to give a little bit of a reminder, this chapter of Romans Uh, was the foundation for a mission trip that I led with our high school students last summer. We studied this chapter for six months in our preparation before the trip, and we referred to it while we were gone uh, in July. It's really a great chapter for exploring what a changed life in Jesus looks like. And it's really, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, is really the beginning of Paul's application teaching following 11 chapters of teaching about christian doctrine and practice now we get into the application part of it uh, if you are new or visiting or, or have missed the last couple weeks i want to encourage you uh, to go afterwards and head online you can find links uh, at nview.org and watch the last two weeks just so you can figure out what we've talked about and see how we got to where we are this morning for this section some bibles depending on your translation some may call it marks of a true christian while others refer to it as love in action. But however it may be referred to in your Bible, we're going to be continuing our our transformation theme this morning by calling it Transformation of Living. Uh, And to help lay the foundation for this morning, to be able to see what the text says, uh, we've each uh, week have had different leaders from our student ministry come up and read for us. This morning we are continuing that, uh, and I'd like to invite Phil Wagner. Phil uh, works with our high school students uh, and has for the last several years. Uh, Phil is also, if I'm going to miss a Sunday, Phil is the first person I ask to fill in for me with high school. So love what he has to offer, uh, Phil. Come on up this morning, man.
1: Woo. Yeah, woo. Well, I feel like that gives me five seconds to plug. Uh, you know, if you if you are looking for a way to get connected and grow, the best advice my family ever got from Steve was uh, get connected, join. You know. Join the i groups. Uh, bring your story. Bring your experience, and just jump in. Uh, it's such a blessing to them and to you. So, uh, the cook said it, and I agree. I love it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Uh, chapter twelve, verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Phil. Hey, let's go before the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Jesus, once again, I thank you for your servant Paul and his obedience to you. And the demonstration of a life changed in you that he provides, Lord. And now as he uh, encourages us, even 2,000 years ago, may we listen to his words that are really yours. And may we be challenged and encouraged this morning to live in a manner that's different as we seek this continual transformation uh, made only possible through you and through your Spirit. Be with us this morning, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen. So this this section, this third section of Romans 12, uh, at summary, is really a description of, of the type of life that is pleasing to God. And as we look back and review to weeks one and two, we see that this section is really a ripple effect of the transformed mind and the transformed self. In week one, we looked at allowing the Holy Spirit to transform our minds. And from there, the ripple carries forward into a transformation of our very selves, the very way that we live out our life. This is because as we allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, we develop a heart in line with the will of God. We begin to recognize that we need to be living different than the world around us. We see that as the Holy Spirit transforms us to be more like Jesus, he also equips us for this partnership in ministry with him. This equipping through the development of of spiritual gifts requires that we allow our entire selves to be transformed and changed by the Spirit of God. And now we arrive at the transformation of the way we live and interact with others. To follow Jesus is to be different than the world around us, and that is a very good thing. These verses of Romans 12, 9 through 21 are Paul's way of living a life that reflects Jesus, living a life fully transformed in him. And in these verses, Paul brings everything around, as if to say, here is how to live a life trans- or honoring of the grace of God in which transformation is rooted. When we look at this section of Romans, I'll be honest, it can almost be too hard to know where to start in some sort of breakdown or study of various attributes, lifestyles, and commands, because in what is really, in the scheme of the Bible, a few verses, Paul has fit a lot. These include hating what is evil while clinging to what is good, being joyful in hope, Being patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, associating with different people, and so much more, each one in themselves, an entire message, or really probably an entire series. And in just a handful of verses, Paul takes what he's been talking about, and he raises the bar high, and it can be hard to know where to start. Or it may even be confusing as to what everything means. And as I've spent time with this list especially with the mission trip and then in the last couple months of preparation, I think there's really one key piece of this. I, I look at this and I see the Christian life puzzle when we look at what Paul has presented that we need to pull out, that we need to examine, and we really need to seek to understand before we can hope to understand, let alone live out the rest of this section of a life changed by Jesus. And that piece, that single piece that we're really going to focus on this morning is found in the first half of the first verse of this section. Let love be genuine. I think we need to understand the call and command to love before we can try to break down the rest of what Paul has provided. In this section, the call to love is clearly important. If nothing else, it's listed first. To help us understand this action, this emotion, and this biblical command, we're going to look at what the Bible says about love. We're also going to look at what living a transformed life looks like. And last, as kind of an overall conclusion to three weeks of study, we're going to look and see what is the evidence of a life changed by Jesus. Love is central to the Christian life and is a central theme throughout the entirety of Scripture. Really, many people would view the Bible as some sort of love story between God and humanity. It's a book telling of God's pursuit of humanity through incredible displays of love, the pinnacle of which we will be celebrating at Easter, the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins, and the resurrection that provides us life. The Bible also includes calls for the followers of Jesus to live out a life centered on love. And as Jesus taught us, we are to love God and love other people. A great reference point is the writings of John. Primarily 1 John chapter 4, 7-21. to 21. In this section, John is writing about what he knows because he is one of the 12 disciples who were with Jesus during his ministry, as we see recorded in the Gospels. You see, he didn't just hear the teachings of Jesus firsthand, but would have experienced the love of Jesus in action more than anyone else had. And I want to read for you just a couple of but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And he goes on to say, we know and rely on the love God has for us and reiterates, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And that we love because he, God, first loved us. When I read this passage, the case is clear. Love radiates out from God himself. True, genuine, life-changing, authentic, holistic, powerful, immeasurable love flowing from the creator of the universe. The God who made the biggest star in the expanse of space and the smallest particle within our world demonstrates and pours out his love. These verses allow us to see that love comes from God. And I think that through examining additional passages throughout Scripture, we continue understanding this idea of true and authentic God-rooted love. So our next stop, for some of us, maybe somewhat predictable, is the 13th chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Perhaps one of the most well-known and studied passages on love in the Bible. Often featured in weddings and posted online, many have heard excerpts of this passage at one time or another. Like Romans 12, this is written by Paul, and in these verses he really breaks into the idea of love and its importance. If we were to turn back just one chapter to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see Paul teaching on the body of Christ very similar to what we studied last week. He ends 1 Corinthians 12, which is a chapter all about spiritual gifts and the body of Jesus, by telling the reader, by telling us that he's going to show a more excellent way as we seek to fulfill God's call. And then he continues with 1 Corinthians 13 with the way that he calls more excellent. And it's rooted in embracing the proper way to love. And this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels and do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, If I give my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then he fires away. Love is patient, kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. Love never fails, Paul says. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Tongues will be stilled. Knowledge will pass away. We know in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, Paul says, I talked, thought, and reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see as a reflection, but we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and I shall know fully. Paul says, these three remain. After everything else fades and is gone, three things remain, Paul says. Faith, hope, and love. And even incredible enough, he could stop there. That the greatest three things of all time, faith, hope, and love. Pretty impressive to make it in the top three. We're just finishing up the Olympic season. No one looks at whoever wins bronze as a failure. We look at them and say, wow, they're in the top three. That's incredible. And Paul says, but... Of this list, of this condensed list of three of the greatest things of all time, the greatest is love. In this chapter, Paul presents three main teachings regarding love. First, he writes that no matter the actions that someone does, no matter how good of a person they are, no matter how generous of a life they lead, if there is no love, nothing matters, and that life is meaningless. In fact, he writes that speech without love is the same as a clanging symbol. He says that without love, he himself is nothing, has gained nothing, regardless of his life, his words, his faith or his accomplishments. Second, Paul provides a divine list of attributes of love, and these li- this list helps us gain a better understanding of this word. Traits such as patience, humility, and truthfulness build on the mental picture that not only is love important, but it's about other people and not about myself. And when we see this list, we're no doubt drawn to traits that we know we need to work on in our own lives. If we were honest, many of us may feel guilty or uncomfortable right at the start of the list with the call to be patient. In these attributes, we see that love is key in genuine relationships and necessary when working through conflict, hurt, and disappointment. And third in this chapter, Paul connects love to maturity, even highlighting the never-ending power of love. He writes that words and knowledge will all pass away, but that love itself will never end. It's this enduring love, greater than any words or knowledge, that spurs Paul to maturity. It is in the same idea that he encourages us to live in a similar pattern, to allow love to mature us. As we read this, we dive into Paul's heaven-sent insights. And we begin to see that God holds a a high view and high regard of love, as his Spirit is the one who inspired Paul to write, and who reveals the text to us today, that we are reading the ways of God himself. Both of these passages from Paul and John as well as countless others highlight something key. Jesus is the standard bearer of love. Both Paul and John have referenced how important love is to God and now it's important for us to examine the life and teachings of Jesus himself to understand it more this morning. And so we're going to go on just a brief biblical journey together. We're going to examine several teachings from Jesus the Messiah himself. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, provide incredible accounts of the ministry of Jesus. These accounts include various teachings, teachings that build upon and fulfill Old Testament law as Jesus establishes a new covenant, a new promise for those who seek to live his way. Throughout the Gospels, we better understand God himself through the character, nature, and person of Jesus as well as understand God's heart for his people and commands for how to live a transformed life. So it shouldn't surprise us to discover that Jesus taught about love during his ministry. Let's pull together some of the teachings of Jesus on this topic and on this idea of love as we continue to seek and understand it to what Paul is urging us to do in Romans 12. So first we have Matthew chapter 5. And in it, Jesus tells the people, listening, you have heard it say, said, love your neighbor Jesus says, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And here Jesus is challenging the notion of who we are to love. He says it's not enough to love people around us that are easy to love. That's easy. Everyone can do that. But he says we're called to love everyone, even and especially those we consider enemies and persecutors. Maybe strong language for us today, but love those that we don't get along with, that we find difficult. Not that you need to be best friends with everyone you encounter, but love be the prominent emotion and action displayed as we represent Jesus to everyone we encounter. Next, if we turn the pages to Matthew 22, we encounter a situation in which Jesus is getting questioned. In this situation, Jesus has silenced the Sadducees and now the Pharisees are they're like, it's our turn to question and catch this man who claims to be God. And it says one of them, an expert in the law, meaning he knows the old, what we would call the Old Testament, tested Jesus with a question. He said, teacher. He doesn't mean teacher in a nice sense right here. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? He's trying to catch him. All right, you know it all, tell us. And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And Jesus continues. He says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. As he's being questioned about the laws in the Old Testament, and which is the greatest, Jesus responds in a manner that gives a glimpse into his desire for humanity. He clearly teaches, providing essentially what is a summary of the entire biblical law, that we are to love God as Lord with everything. And that right behind that, we're to love other people. We need to give God everything. And then we need to treat people in the same manner in which we would want to be treated. But it doesn't stop there. John records this uh, as Jesus is teaching. Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. And he continues, My children... I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus tells his disciples that people will know they are part of his family, kind of his inner circle, not by how big their bible is not by how extensive their collection of theological books and and records are not by the size of their tax write-off at the end of the year for how generously they poured out in contributions jesus says that people will know they are the followers of jesus simply by the way they love one another even more than how they love those outside the body. Jesus is teaching the way the members love one another will tell people more about whose they are and what they're about than anything else. Jesus is emphasizing that the main part of life with him is love. And this continues in John chapter 15. Jesus says, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if, I, if you do what I commanded. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. And He says, this is my command, love each other. In these verses, Jesus is commanding his followers to love one another, not just in a manner that is default or comfortable, but in the same way in which Jesus himself loved them during his ministry. He tells them that there's no greater love than laying down one's life for a friend. Now, I don't think he's only talking about the literal act of dying from someone, although that is an incredible act of love. I think, too, is the idea of daily laying down one's life for the sake of others and i find myself wondering when was the last time i allowed myself to be inconvenienced by somebody when was the last time i allowed my plans to be set aside for the good of someone else how have i shown love by laying down my life daily for other people and clearly john was paying attention because in First John 3.16, he writes, This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, these couple of passages, not only do they help us define what love is and what love looks like, we begin to realize something important. Love is so much more about other people than it is about me. Love is about putting others ahead of myself than putting myself ahead of others. Love is about looking to the needs of others and it's looking to the source of love, seeking to emulate, imitate, and reflect the love of God through Jesus to other people. If we have to simplify it, love is about looking to Jesus and being more like him in our interactions with others. When we look to Jesus as our example, we not only see him teaching about love, but we see him living out what he is teaching. We see him demonstrating what a life is rooted in love and others looks like. We see love in the way Jesus lays down his life for other people. Now Jesus absolutely demonstrated this idea when he went to the cross and literally allowed himself to be killed in our place. And we also see it in the everyday accounts of his ministry as Jesus allowed himself to be inconvenienced and interrupted by people. Jesus demonstrated that love is centered in daily surrendering one's life for the sake of others. Jesus is the ultimate standard of love because he is the author of love. His ministry is full of loving acts from impactful conversations to physical healings to the gifts of mercy and grace. Jesus is love. You want to know how not to just define love, but what it looks like? Look to Jesus. Study his word Seek him out, and then as the Bible says, go and do likewise. The life of Jesus on earth is a demonstration, an example of love. We realize where we fail as an example of love, if we use Paul's definition in First Corinthians 13 and realize we can't hold up to that, we realize that where we fall short, Jesus succeeds. Because as we relook at First Corinthians 13, we realize it's actually a list of, of traits of Jesus himself. So what does the Bible say about love? It says that Jesus is the standard and the example, and that to follow him is to love like him, and to define love is to define God himself. Now, all of this relates to our idea of transformation, and more specifically into this morning's focus on transformation of living as we talk through different aspects, definitions, and examples of love, I think we can quickly see that the way of Christianity, or the way Christianity, Jesus, and the Bible define love, is different than how the world defines or exemplifies love. Where the world insists on its own way, Jesus-like love insists on the way of other people. Where the world is more concerned about I and what brings me happiness, Jesus-like love is more concerned about the needs of other people over myself. Wrapped up in this process of transformation is, is a needed transformation of how we live, which includes how we view love and actually live out love in our daily lives and interactions with other people. When we look back on the last couple of weeks of walking through Romans 12 together, we begin to see the transformation process in full swing. In week one, we looked at the transformation of the mind and allowing the Holy Spirit to renew our minds, to be perceptive to the will of God. Then in week two, we looked at the transformation of gifts and how God equips us to live a life honoring of Him and loving towards other people. And now we're seeing that transformation of living is rooted in developing Christ-like love for those around us. Each of these three levels of transformation feeds into the next. Each are important when living the Christian life. It starts on the inside with the renewing power of the Holy Spirit, then extends outwards in our actions as God equips us and moves us into a life loving like Jesus. I think Paul is very intentional by telling us that the Holy Spirit renews our mind so we can discern the will of God. Then he tells us about being equipped for ministry in the body, then gives us a bullet point list of action items towards being living towards other people beginning with love because God's will is tightly connected and woven towards the commandment of Jesus to love God and love others living a transformed life means allowing the spirit of God to impact every area of your life from your thought process to your interests to your actions and here in the third part of Romans 12 Paul outlines a series of necessary actions for a Christian to live out now These are not requirements in the manner of, do these things and you will be a Christian, but rather, because you claim allegiance to Jesus, these are the actions that should be flowing out of your love for Christ. When we look at this list, we again gain an understanding that love is the core action and that none of them matter without love, reminiscent of Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 13. We can see by looking at this list how love is really the foundation. It needs to be the motivation behind each to take something from just being nice or using cultural language of being a nice person to truly representing Jesus. Or to use 1 Corinthians 13 language, we need love to allow these things to even matter. Actions such as honoring others being generous and giving, showing hospitality to others, blessing those who persecute you, and living in harmony need the power of love to be real and authentic. This list from the end of Romans 12 is not just some list Paul's produced of his view of an idealistic world. Rather, Paul understands the heart of Jesus and is urging people, to use his language at the beginning of 12, urging people to live how Jesus has called his people to live. Paul's writings are implications for the Christian's life, both in the body of Christ and in relation to the secular world. Paul understands the commands of Jesus to love everyone and pray for those we struggle with. He is relaying the will of God for how his people should be acting and interacting with other people. As we understand love, we see how each is fully realized only when partnered in the love of Jesus. We can study the account in the Gospels to see Jesus live out these various traits through his own ministry, for examples of how to live out love. We can examine the lives of others throughout Scripture, and we can look to the people we know today as continued examples of how to love sincerely and the actions that flow outward from a heart renewed, a heart transformed by the love of Jesus. As I mentioned in week one of the study of Romans 12, I selected this chapter to be the focus of our youth group mission trip in July of 21. I love how Paul works together these various aspects of being transformed in Christ. And for a group uh, serving out of a heart to worship Jesus together, I think these verses provided us with a very key and strong foundation. On a mission experience, even a very short one like ours that was a week you're living, you're sleeping, you're eating, and you're, you're serving in very close proximity to others. To say almost nothing of those that you're hoping to actually serve. And it's natural and common for there to be some degree of strife, conflict, or something similar as a group gets tired, as they get uncomfortable, as they get hot, as they get dirty. And this isn't even just something for teenagers, but for adults too. Whether it be a mission trip, a service opportunity, a family, or any other group of people coming together, Paul has provided a great encouragement to us and a reminder of a better way of living. On our mission trip, as well as throughout our youth ministry and our church here at Northview, I've seen examples of the things that Paul has in these verses. People, part of our body, who love sincerely, who honor others, who practice hospitality, and so much more. I see connections between the ways God has gifted us and this list in Romans 12. And as we seek to live out how he has equipped us, like we looked at last week, these should really be the action steps behind it. Is it always easy? Absolutely not. For example... Paul calls us to never be lacking or never be slothful in zeal. That is, we should always have energy and enthusiasm for what is happening in the body of Christ and in his kingdom. But I'll be honest, sometimes that's hard to do. Or in a similar vein, it can be difficult to carry out actions such as being constant in prayer because we get distracted and we take our eyes off Jesus at times when the burdens of life close in and sometimes we forget that prayer is a constant conversation with god not an occasional heaven-sent memo with a checklist of requests or what about living peacefully or living at peace with those around us as paul says so far as it depends on us sometimes we can give more into division and dissension than peace sure it's easy to love those who love us it's really easy to be nice to the people that are nice to us but Jesus calls us to represent him to all people, not just those who are easy or who we like. On our own, this list of actions is pretty much impossible. And I find if I, fail, if I try to go at it alone, I fail. In our state of spiritual depravity, we simply don't know how to love properly. Thankfully, God gives instruction in his word and has provided an example in the form of Jesus and a guide in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the transformative power of the Spirit to be our guide, to be our teacher as we seek to live out the way Jesus has called us to live, the life he demonstrated to us. We need to embrace love for one another, those in the family of God, as well as those in the community around us who don't yet know him. I want to encourage you, examine this list, even Write it out and highlight what stands out to you. What areas and actions do you need the Holy Spirit to be transforming within you? What aspects of living as a Christian come easier to you? And which do you find more difficult or even impossible? When we live a life of worship, when we recognize our gifts and use them, when we allow the Holy Spirit to transform every part of us, when we let love be genuine in the manner in which we interact with others, what's the evidence? How do we know if someone has been transformed by the Holy Spirit? What do we see and what do we draw on as evidence of everything we've been talking about over the last couple weeks? When we embrace and live out the biblical view of love through a personal relationship of Jesus, turns out there's a lot of evidence of that life change. And thankfully, Paul, who continues to be our teacher throughout this entire thing, puts together a very convenient list for us to use as a reference point. A list of what he calls Fruit in the life of a person transformed by Jesus and living out what we've been talking about. Fruit being the evidence of life change or the outward evidence of a changed inside. Let's see what Paul's list of fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians chapter five. And he just lists it simply. It says the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit, the evidence of a transformed life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. This list from Paul, which I don't really, I've never really understood why, but even in the church setting, the fruit of the Spirit is often seen as more feministic, and and, and guys sometimes have a hard time viewing it. I don't really get that, because this is a list of attributes of someone who has been transformed, who has been changed by Jesus, by the Spirit of God. Jesus demonstrated all of these in his ministry, furthering the importance of studying the life of Jesus. And I just want to provide, just in a, a quick bullet point format, just some definitions or some Insights into each of these just so we can have a common understanding. Love, first, the greatest quality that most reflects God Himself. And it's from love that everything else flows, and in love, everything else is realized. Joy, the center of the Christian's life, not fleeting happiness, but joy rooted in God's gifts of mercy and grace. The Bible even calls us as the followers of Jesus to be joyful in everything, even when things are difficult. Peace tied with forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul urges us to live in peace as much as it depends on us, not intentionally causing division with others. And patience is really an act of surrender to God's timing and God's plan over our own, as well as bearing with difficult people or hard situations while maintaining Christ-like composure. Kindness and goodness directed at the needs of others over self living to aid and help others, to be sympathetic as well as generous in our actions and our time and more. Faithfulness, reflecting God's faithfulness as we strive to follow through and be honest and trustworthy. Gentleness reflects resting in God and being an encouragement to others, not being a driving force in people's lives, but being someone that's safe and comforting. And self-control, evidence of standing firm against the desires of the flesh and not conforming to the world being restrained, holding oneself back from acting on evil desires, being calm and level-headed. Now, there's plenty of other definitions, and I'm sure you have your own. There's different insights and focuses, but we see how they reflect Jesus, and they place others first. I'm thankful for the Messiah we have who demonstrates and teaches us these actions, a model that we can learn from. This list isn't feminine. It isn't masculine. This is a list of Jesus, and at the center of it is love. You will be known by the way you love, by how you love everyone you encounter, for that is the way of Jesus, the motivation of the Spirit, and the will of God, and that you love him with everything you have, and you love others more than yourself. So how do we do this? What action steps do we take on this idea of loving God and loving others? First, we embrace the love of Jesus for ourselves, that we allow it to permeate us and change us as we step into a personal relationship with him. Through that, we partner with the Holy Spirit in a desire to be transformed, as Romans 12 has been focusing and emphasizing. And through that, we seek after the will of God. And as those things are happening in our life, we look for ways to serve and love others while giving honor and praise to God himself. And at the center of it, we keep the main thing, the main thing. We love God and love others. To use the Romans 12 language, let this be your spiritual worship to God. Imagine a church family known for its love, not for being divided on different topics, current issues, or or doctrinal differences that are down the ladder, but imagine a church body that held fast to what is good, as Paul says, that didn't leave room or space for what is evil a church body that competed in showing honor to one another, that contributed to the needs of the saints joyfully, that served the Lord, that showed hospitality to everybody, that picked peace over division, that rejoiced and wept together, that sought to overcome evil with good, and at the center of it, to keep love genuine and be a reflection of God's love for people. I think we can be that. And I think as a church body, I think in many ways we are that. And many of you serve as an example of Romans 12 to me and in my own life and walk with Jesus. While I still think we also have areas to grow and continuously be transformed in. I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up as we prepare to close together this morning. I want to encourage us as a church to not grow weary. And I know there are so many areas in life that we are weary in right now. There are things happening in our culture and in our world that have caused fatigue, that have caused division, and even isolation. So let's keep making the main thing the main thing and seek ways to love and support one another. To help guests feel at home wherever and however that looks like. And through it all to grow closer to Jesus. To bookend this third section of Romans 12, to teach what Paul has at the beginning and the end of it, let our love be genuine and may we overcome evil with good. And as we prepare to worship together, let us rally on the words of Romans 12:1 that started all of this off as an encouragement to us. Paul wrote, I appeal to you, or I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Church, Let our spiritual worship be all about loving God and loving others. And ask yourself, how does my way of living, how does my view of love need to be transformed this morning to better reflect Jesus to those I encounter? Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning. Lord, maybe being encouraged or challenged or however things stand out to us, Lord, I pray that you speak to each of us. Lord, may we as a community desire to be more and more like you each and every day. May we allow your spirit to transform us, to guide us, to shape us, and may we find ways to genuinely let our love be a reflection of you. Be with us as we worship this morning, Lord. Be with us as we head forward into this week. Thank you for this time together in your son's name.
1: Amen.